My name is Dario Hasenstab. I have a degree in international affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western bubble. Today, we will analyze how to understand Samuel Huntington through the lens of the Western bubble. Because while Western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the Western bubble. If you would like to know more about this concept, how this podcast started, or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. Hi, Balder. Why are we speaking about this topic today? And I'm going to say the same as last week when we spoke about Fukuyama. Why do IR students have to read Samuel Huntington? Hello, Dario. And unlike last week, where I thought I had a pretty decent answer to why you should be reading uh, Fukuyama, with Huntington, I find it slightly harder to answer um, because intellectually, there's actually not that much there. But... Samuel Huntington was an academic who, just like Fukuyama, had significant impact on foreign policy making at the end of the 20th and at the beginning of the 21st century. And he was someone that created, once again, a lot of Western bubble mentality leading to destruction across the globe. And what are the facts? Samuel Huntington was an American political scientist and a prominent figure in the field of international relations. He was born in 1927 in New York City and died in 2008. Huntington is best known for his influential book, The Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of World Order, published in 1996. In this work, Huntington argued that conflicts and tensions in the post-Cold War world would primarily be shaped by clashes between different civilizations rather than ideological or economic factors. He posited that cultural and religious identities would be the primary source of conflict in the future, he served as a professor of government at Harvard University from 1950 until his retirement in 2007. What is the bubble? I'm going to start the same way as last week's episode. Why is he important to the bubble? Why is Samuel Huntington so important to the Western bubble? Very much like Fukuyama, Huntington was an influential academic in the all-important 1990s that are so fundamental for current Western bubble thinking. Uh, and he gave credence and to a certain extent false legitimacy to the idea that the West is fighting the rest, that there is a clash of civilizations, to use his title, that between various groups in the global community and specifically from his perspective, the West had to fend off the aggression from non-Western cultures and non-Western identities. And so that formed a very aggressive, and I would say even intellectually destructive part of Western thinking after a traumatized 9-11. Unlike Fukuyama, who actually tried to create an idealist, a better world um, in the 21st century from his perspective, and even though he was wrong, there was genuine idealism there, uh, Huntington went in the other direction and created a dystopian vision, a vision of conflict and violence. And that led to the very ugly side of the Western bubble that you could see in the years after 9-11 especially. So as every good IR student, uh, I had to read The Clash of uh, Civilizations. However, I'm going to quiz you on it. Um, so very quickly for our listeners, um, what are the main talking points? Well... His 
book and his article, first an article in Foreign Affairs and then a book published, um, very much, by the way, the same pattern as with uh, Fukuyama, was in many ways a reaction to Fukuyama. So Fukuyama posited this idea of we're moving towards a post-historical uh, world where, where, where we no longer have to deal with the inherent conflicts of humanity because we're all going to be liberal, Western, democratic, etc. Sort of the idealist version of the Western bubble. In reaction to that, in reaction to, by the way, his former students, because Fukuyama had been a student of Samuel Huntington, Huntington wrote The Clash of Civilizations as a way of explaining that, according to him, there is no such utopian future, that the West has to defend itself because there is this inherent, almost unchangeable nature of world affairs in which the world is divided into different cultures, different civilizations that are doomed to perpetually rival each other and engage in conflict, either military or other types of conflicts, uh, who are continuously clashing into each other and who by their very nature do not have the ability to together learn and create a better world in the future. Uh, something that we will be linking in the post description below is um, one of the maps that basically outlines these ideas. And so here we really just Googled Huntington map of civilizations. And what we see here is a map of the world. And as you already said, in seven different very bright colors, dividing the world into Western. So that's North America, well, excluding Mexico and Europe. Um, then you have Latin America, which is Mexico and the rest of South America. Then you have Africa divided in half, where South, well, the southern part of Africa, the Christian half of Africa is simply African. And then the northern part of Africa, including the Middle East and parts of Indonesia, is Islamic. And then you have Orthodox, which is Russia, Ukraine, some parts of Eastern Europe and Greece. Um, then you have the Cynic, which is China and some other small parts. And then Japanese, which is kind of left over and doesn't really fit into, into any of the other groups. And then obviously India, half Hindu, half Islamic, so they don't really fit either. So rather, one might say, simplistic way of looking at the world. Yeah, so if someone were to say, I'm going to overemphasize the importance of the main religions in the world, and I'm going to ignore all the smaller religions and all the subtleties of religion, the subtleties of the various denominations of the of Protestantism and the subtleties of um, Islam and all of that, I'm just going to create color in the world according to religion. And then I'm going to write a paper saying these religions represent the civilizations within these borders. And somehow these religions cause an enormous obstacle when it comes to engaging with each other, working together towards a utopian future, most people would say, hang on, um, religion is not the only determinant, it's not the only factor that 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 will um, determine whether one human being can work together with another human being, because there are historical ties, there are individual psychological ties, there are all kinds of dynamics that that will not allow you to create such a simplistic view of the world. However, Huntington 
actually goes a step further. He says those religions broadly determine everything else. So it's not just that I'm going to focus on differences between religions, but now I'm going to use those religions to basically label people as part of one of seven or eight groups within uh, humanity. And inherently, the moment you are born in Muslim Egypt, then you will be perpetually in conflict with Catholic France, or you will be perpetually in conflict with um, Hindu India. And there's no way for you to escape that. That is, of course, an insanely simplistic and just bad type of analysis, which should never be taken particularly seriously. Unfortunately, it was taken seriously. I mean, some of the examples, and well, our listeners know that I like to quote our preparation to the episodes. Um, but some of these examples are, are just really good and show how simplistic this map is. Uh, because the first thing you asked me is, what does Senegal have in common with, uh, with Afghanistan or Indonesia? Um, very little, one might think, right? The idea that Senegal somehow forms one bulwark, one kind of commonality with Indonesia or Afghanistan is, is so beyond any reasonable understanding of the complexity of the world that, you know, it, it, it almost seems like a waste of time to, to explain why it's so silly. And then people say, oh yeah, but Huntington wouldn't argue that Senegal is exactly the same, but just that there are commonalities, that there are patterns between Afghanistan and Senegal that are similar. Well, hang on, but there are lots of commonalities between Senegal and France. There are lots of commonalities between Senegal and the United States. Why do you pick some vaguely defined religion as, as, as the commonality that you care about? And then you build a theory on that now Senegal and Afghanistan and Indonesia are bound together and will be forever in conflict somehow with China and with Russia and with Latin America and with the United States. It's pure insanity. And the only reason we talk about it is because way too many people take this kind of analysis seriously. Well, according to this map, uh, Russia and Ukraine shouldn't be at war right now. Um, and according to this map, uh, something that we recorded in uh, a few episodes ago, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran shouldn't be really fighting with each other. Um, so I think, I think these are just some further examples that show um, how, how little value this map provides. And again, for the listeners, because uh, these two groups, uh, Ukraine and Russia, are colored similarly because of some vaguely defined Orthodox Church that somehow they're supposed to have in common, and um, Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia, because Huntington has no interest in the subtleties, and not even that subtle, by the way, between Sunni and Shia Islam, or any other type of differences that might exist between Saudi Arabia and Iran, right? So, again, it is it is almost unbelievable that we have to talk about this, unlike the Fukuyama episode, where Fukuyama was wrong, but he had some really interesting things to say. Huntington has very little interesting stuff to convey. He has very little to educate us on, and yet his impact has been enormous to the Western bubble. And can you explain to our listeners what is the problem? And what's the damage of this? Um, because if they, if he has had such an enormous impact, then there must have been some form of policy impact. And what has that been? And was it damaging? And if so, how? When he published his work in the 90s, he was less 
popular in many ways or less um, read at even at universities than uh, Fukuyama because the 1990s were this very optimistic time period. And in that optimistic time period, you wanted to look at solutions, you wanted, you wanted to look at utopian scenarios for the 21st century. How can we make the world a better place? And Huntington seemed to be a little bit grumpy and a bit negative and all oh, we're, you know, into this Orwellian world, etc., etc. But then comes 9-11 and the United States, but the rest of the West as well, all of a sudden is not just deeply traumatized by the destruction of 9-11, by the 3,000 people who died, but also by the idea that history isn't going to be that rosy, that there are actually people who really resist the West, not just a tiny group in a country far away, but actual damage that can be done in continental uh, USA, in, in the heart of what Western values are supposed to be, right? At the heart of New York, in Manhattan, the World Trade Center, you can't hit a more symbolic place and the way that this was done. So all of a sudden you've got a West that is terrified of the future rather than optimistic about the future. And the moment you're terrified, Huntington becomes much more attractive to certain policymakers and politicians because at that moment, people say, ah, so actually we still agree with Fukuyama that we have found the magic formula towards happiness and civilization and everything that is right about humanity. There Fukuyama was correct, but there are other people in the world, in fact, most of the rest of the world that is too barbaric, that is too backwards to understand this. And we're going to have to fight them. It is not just that enough for us to show how amazing we are, how morally superior we are. We're actually going to have to put them in their place. We're going to have to defend ourselves against the aggression of the barbarians. That is how Huntington became a influential voice in the White House and in other uh, Western capitals. Because... He gave a voice to the anxiety and the frustration and the pain that was caused by 9-11 and he, caused, he created a justification for very aggressive and destructive action, something that Fukuyama never really managed to do in any um, particularly convincing way. Um, Huntington allowed George W. Bush and others to say, we are going to fight the enemy, we are going to fight militarily and in other ways, um, those barbarians who do not understand our moral superiority. Because the aggression of the barbarians was first um, terrorism in, in, the, well, in the beginning of the 21st century, but then rather recently uh, during the Trump administration was migration. And so this would be the basis to Trump's Muslim ban, where he really just picked out a few Muslim countries and said no one is allowed into the United States from these countries. Yeah, so the moment that you believe that you represent a certain superior civilization, and Huntington, it, it, it's worth pointing out that even though he lost influence, basically because it turned out that his, his analysis was just idiotic, um, he lost influence in the final years of his life. He started writing more and more about how the white West, white America had to defend itself against the brown immigrants, you know, so it became a very, very racist and, and in many ways nonsensical discourse um, that fed really nicely into this 
world of white America that voted for Trump that said, oh, we're very scared of this planet. We're very scared of where history is taking us. We want to maintain our American dream. We want to go back to some kind of imaginary 1950s where everything for me, the white man, was somehow better and was somehow safer. And Trump is going to provide that to us with his anti-immigrant discourse, with creating a wall between uh, us and Mexico, not a wall with Canada between us and Mexico, uh, protecting us from those evil civilizations. And, and Huntington gives us the academic legitimacy. Huntington is the one who provides the deeper understanding of why this is correct. And ultimately, he legitimizes inherent racism. Absolutely, and, and, and quite openly so. And you could sort of discard this as the ramblings of an old man, and the ramblings of someone who no longer is in touch with reality. But it is actually quite in line with his earlier work. Uh, the, the Clash of Civilizations, written in the 1990s, lays the laid the foundations for the later racist literature that he produced that then legitimized sort of the uglier uh, kind of policies from the Trump administration. So that inherent racism is, is consistent with his thinking about global civilizations and the Orwellian world that he portrays of clashes that will continue forever between the West and everyone else. And what now? So when we're talking about the future, there is a reason why we put his inherent racism um, and his racist thought at the very end of the damage. Because a question I, I asked myself uh, earlier is, this man taught at Harvard until 2007. Would he still be teaching there nowadays? Because I could see why you would want someone like this at a very prestigious university, just so that, you know, you have different ideologies at in a university setting, because that's what academia is about, ultimately, and you want students to learn, as you quoted very nicely with Fukuyama at the end of the last episode, to, to also call people out when, when they're wrong. Um, but do you think he would still be around nowadays? The answer probably would be no. Unfortunately, the reason for that would be the wrong reason, right? So the reason why, from my perspective, someone like Huntington should not be taken seriously. And I I, I would be very interested to know um, what, for example, someone like Fukuyama thinks of Huntington. We know that they didn't agree on everything, but, Hunting, uh, but Fukuyama did seem to respect Huntington as a professor and was very much influenced by Huntington. Um my argument for someone like Huntington not teaching at a university would be just the lack of analytical value, the lack of proper intellectual understanding of the world. Uh, I, I called his ideas idiotic just before. Um, there is just a very little true value in his school of thought, if you like. Um, the reason why he probably wouldn't be able to teach at Harvard in 2023 would be because he would straight away be labeled a racist or he wouldn't fit within the politically correct narrative of today's world. And that is probably not a good reason not to have someone teach. You know, the fact that someone is racist is a reason to engage with that person. The reason why you wouldn't want to engage with a person is because they're not very intelligent, because they have not much to say about this world and not much value to add. 
so nowadays we live in a world where certain the moment certain sensibilities are touched upon when we believe that someone is morally incorrect in his way of thinking racist sexist misogynist whatever um then we discard all of their ideas and that is probably not the way to go we should we should just discard ideas because they are not intellectually valid or sound or valuable that's the reason why people should not listen to huntington not because he was a racist i mean and ultimately i i think it would be very difficult to make an intellectually sound case for racism um but, I mean, that's but but again but that, that's that exactly the reason right? that's that's so the, the the reason why huntington it, it's so frustrating that he created this almost this vicious circle of policy being legitimized by his thinking is that his racism displays a deep lack of intellectual uh, strength of of intellectual vigor you cannot make an intellectual case for racist policies they, it, it is just not sound thinking and um, the fact that he was racist is a consequence in many ways of his lack of intellectual abilities and that is what we should care about uh, that's why he should never have been taken so seriously this seems like a great moment to end today's conversation on samuel huntington if you have any questions comments or regards make sure to send us an email to the western bubble at gmail.com and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today make sure to join us again next week when we burst the western bubble that is it from my side. Balder, which closing quote did you pick for us today? Obviously, we had to choose a quote from Huntington, um, given that that is the topic, he is the topic of today's episode. But it is tricky because most of his quotes are actually problematic. Um, They're very much reinforcing the Western bubble, which is something that we want to avoid. One of the consequences of Huntington's theory is that... Um, you have an automatic, intuitive um, suspicion, skepticism towards anyone who doesn't belong to your civilization. And not because they do not fulfill certain moral criteria, but simply because they've got a different skin color or they do not fall within your religious sect or religious tribe. And so this is a quote where Huntington questions um, sort of 21st century foreign policy making when it comes to non-Western nations for the White House. And it goes, it was one thing to contain the Soviet Union in Europe because Britain, France and Germany were all willing to join in. But will Japan and other Asian countries be willing to join in the containment of China?